0: to uh, pray with you all. Uh, if anyone is in here that is a woman, uh, a, a girl, uh, then if you could reach around, just put a hand on their shoulder or grab their hand if you would. Just want every, every lady in here that has a hand uh, on their shoulder or round their uh, shoulder or holding hands would be great. Make sure nobody's left out, alright? Nobody's left out. Uh, one of the things that happens um, at uh, Mother's Day, and Sherry always appreciated this when we kind of handled this sensitively, is because Mother's Day is a great day to celebrate moms and what you mean to us. And moms, we're so glad you're here today. We hope it's a great day. We gave you flowers today. We like to just celebrate women in our lives and the fact that you are nurturers and caregivers and supportive and encouraging. So we appreciate that so much. But we're also aware today that Mother's Day is difficult for some because. Uh, some of you uh, ladies wanted to have a child, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. You weren't able to, or, so Mother's Day is a, a day of grieving for you. It's a difficult day. Uh, for others of you, you wanted to be married, but it never happened, and, or, or maybe you were married and, and then you were divorced today, and so Mother's Day is a difficult day for you, so we am going to be sensitive to that too today. Uh, and maybe for some of the rest of you, uh, you lost a mother and uh grandmother someone special to you and so mother's day can be a difficult day for that too and so what i want to do is pray for you and again make sure that everybody has a hand or an arm on them somewhere and uh around their shoulder and i want to pray for you now if we could god uh, we pray today and thank you so much for giving us the gift of motherhood and god thank you for the women that are here today God, I pray for those that are mothers today, that they wouldn't be hard on themselves. And, and that, God, they would feel blessed today and encouraged because a lot of times we feel like we, we're not perfect and we aren't doing a good enough job. And so, God, I pray that we would give grace to ourselves today, that we'd have that peace, that comfort that knows that we're doing a good job and doing the best we can. And, God, pray for that today. I pray for those who've never been able to have children. They wanted children, but it just didn't happen. And so, God, today is a little bit of a day of grieving for them. And so we pray for them. They feel encouraged that they would know that their value is not in the fact that they have a child or not, but their value comes as they're a child of the King. God, I pray for those women who wanted to be married, but it didn't happen, and maybe it will in the future. And so God, today, we pray that you would encourage those women today and uh, to know again that their value comes not in a relationship with a man, but in a relationship with the Son of Man, the Son of God. God, I pray today for those who've lost uh, a baby or they've lost a mother. So, God, today we pray that you would give them special comfort today and encouragement. They would know that, um, that today's a day of celebration. Whether or not that mother is still here or is in heaven, God, we just give you thanks for them. I pray that this is a day of refreshing, a day of encouragement, and a day, God, where we're able to encourage one another, lift each other up, and to just give value to one another and say how much everyone means to us. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. We pray this. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day, uh, moms. We are so glad you're here today. Uh, Last week, uh, my brother Mark preached a message. How many of you appreciated that message last week if you were here? Amen. And uh, I had a couple people come out, you know, they were like, wow, that was such a great message, just such a great job. Oh, not that you don't do a good job. Well, it's always got to be a comparison, you know what I'm saying? Why can't it just be like, he did great, you know what I'm saying? But uh, it's all good, and he did do a great job. I came, got here by the time he spoke, second hour, and uh, so I was able to hear that. And um, for those of you who don't know me, I wasn't skipping church. I was at the Middletown campus, and then I came down here. It's not like I woke up halfway through his message saying, oh, I think I should go to church and listen to Mark today. Uh, he started a four-week series for us last week that we're calling Momentum. Don't we all want to live our lives to the best maximum performance that we can? Don't we all want to be the best version of ourselves? And being our best doesn't mean we run constantly. I mean, we live in such a fast-paced world today. We too often live in overdrive. We so often get burned out and stressed out. We have so much that that demands our time. And moms, don't you feel that today? Now, I mean, don't you ever feel overwhelmed, exhausted, stressed out? And uh, so Mark last week spoke on the topic how to stop spinning your wheels. Being our best means that we find healthy balance between work and rest. And so next week, Josh is going to talk about learning to take pit stops, learning to have those moments in your life where you take that break every week or every day and where you say, I need to have these special moments with God, where we learn to maximize our efforts, be the best that we can be, and part of that is spending time with Him. And and we also learn to embrace relationships, and that's what I want to talk about today is the value of your pit crew. We all need people who surround us and support us. You cannot be your best unless you have people that are supporting you. How many of you are NASCAR fans? Would you raise your hand? Okay, like (laughs) four of you. This is going to be a completely relevant illustration and video that I'm about to play then. So for the next two and a half minutes, those of you who are NASCAR fans, enjoy this. And uh, for the rest of you, you can endure this. Check it out. I know some guys in my life that are gas men. They don't actually put gas in a car, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That whole video, I'm thinking, that's a stupid line. Why would you say that? And then, like, there it was. Came right out there. I, I love the line in there where he says that uh, we got your back. You know, that that's what it means to be on a team. You've got your back. And really, that's what it is. It's, it's, It's being better together. It's being stronger together when you have a good relationship. And guys, listen, as people who believe in God, as followers of Jesus, we get to be part of a winning team. Jesus once told his closest followers, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not be able to defeat it. You think about that, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? All the powers of hell will not be able to defeat the church. And here's what I want you to see today, that in a race, There are really three groups, and we see these same three groups at work in our lives too. The opposition, the crowd, and the team. And in all of our lives, we're going to face this, the opposition, the crowd, and the team. We see it at the racetrack. We see it in every team sport. At every race, there is the opposition. This is your opponent. The opponent is dead set on beating you. They are very focused and ready to come against you. In NASCAR, there are other drivers who are doing everything they can to keep you off the track. They're going to bump you. They're going to get in front of you. They might even wreck you. They're going to outmaneuver you. How many of you remember Tony Stewart? Tony Stewart, I remember many videos of Tony Stewart cutting people off or spinning other drivers out or angrily throwing his helmet at somebody who pushes him off the track. There's opposition. And then there's the second group, and that's the crowd. And the crowd is there to cheer them on. The crowd is there on the sidelines. They aren't actually on the track. They're just watching. They're spectators. And many of them are not in great physical condition. They're content to flag down the beer vendor or scarf down some nachos or jump to their feet when the race is is good enough. I brought some pictures, four pictures of what might be considered a typical NASCAR fan. Um, Here they are. There's the first one. These guys are triplets, I think, but one of us, 43, number 11, it's kind of a temporary tattoo. Here's a guy who took it more permanently. He, uh, he tattooed, his, tattooed his entire back with NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt, and uh, God rest his soul. Next, um, then we go to, uh, if, you're, if you don't like that permanent, go to this, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and uh, shave it in your head. If you don't like that, go the opposite. <laughs> that's, that's attractive typical NASCAR fan. These guys are fans, but when the race is over, their life goes on, and, and it really doesn't make an impact one way or the other. These guys are spectators. They're in the crowd. They come to the race, but they're not in the race. And then there's the team, the third group. When you're on the team, you're invested, you're committed, you go to practices, you work hard. You watch what you eat, you spend hours in the gym, you take rep upon rep, you do what it takes to win. And in NASCAR, this is the driver, the mechanics, the pit crew, and more. How many of you have ever been on some type of team before? Would you raise your hand? Maybe you have been on a sport, but maybe you've been in the band. Maybe you've been uh, in drama. Maybe you have uh, been in your work team. If you're in a family, you're on a team. And if you are, you understand what I'm talking about today. You understand the dedication that it takes and the passion to win. The opposition, the crowd, the team. Now, I want to turn your attention to a Bible story where we see all three of these groups. And then after that, we're going to apply this to our lives. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says one day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, paralo- came, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on this mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And in this scene, we see those who oppose the message, the crowd who got in the way of the message, and the team who helped support this man and get him in front of Jesus. The opposition was there. The Pharisees and teachers of the law believed that they were doing the right thing, but they really weren't, and they opposed Jesus at every turn. They were the religious elite. They believed their way was the right way. They were judgmental. They were legalistic. They were finger-pointing. They did everything they could to defeat the cause of Christ and the mission of this man named Jesus and those who followed him. In fact, later we'll learn that the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they made sure that Jesus Christ was sent up on trump charges so that then he would be crucified. They they were the opposition in this story. They were being deceived by the ultimate opposition, which was our enemy, the devil. And they did everything they could to defeat him. And then we see in Luke chapter 5 that when they could not find a way, the men, to get this man on the mat in front of Jesus, they went up on the roof. And how why did they couldn't that why could they not get there? Because of the crowd. The crowd. These were the curiosity seekers. And even a casual reading of the gospels, you will see these individuals show up again and again, over and over. Then the scripture says things like they were amazed, they were saw remarkable things today. They were, they were not. They were just interested. They weren't committed. In fact, this is the same crowd that we see a few chapters later in Luke chapter 9 who wanted a little bit of refreshment from Jesus. And they were part of the crowd that was fed, that 5,000 who was fed some fish and some loaves of bread. And that just about describes the crowd, doesn't it? I do find it interesting that the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them because that's just the heart and nature of Jesus. And yet the crowd, they were just curious. They weren't committed. And then you see the team. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these men, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home and praised God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So now we're beginning to see the team. These are the committed These are the guys who went to the extra lengths to get on top of the roof, break it open, lower the guy on a mat in front of Jesus, to push past the crowd, to get away from the opposition and to say, I want to make sure that my friend is in front of Jesus. They did not worry about the Pharisees. They did not worry about the crowd. They were committed. Not only were they committed, but there we see the disciples as well. The disciples who believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they were there. In fact, history tells us that this house was probably Simon Peter's house right on the Sea of Galilee in the city of Capernaum. And we went there when we went to Israel in 2011. The remnants of Peter's house were still there and they have built this church, really, on top of Peter's house, and right in the middle of the house is a window with rails around it, and you can look down as if you were the men on that roof, lowering your friend in front of the center of Jesus. I mean, it's in front of the center of the house, in front of Jesus. Matthew tells this event, and he goes right into the scene after this, where Jesus sends out his committed disciples, two by two, to serve people in the community. They were the team. And now what I want to do is look at the crowd, the opposition, and the team, and I want to help you identify which group are you in, and maybe you already know. I told you at the beginning of the message, we'd be introduced to the three groups, and by the end, you would know where you are. There are those who oppose God's team. Like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're committed to do everything they can to undermine the message of the Bible, to shift the moral tide in our culture away from God, to tear away the very fabric of all that has to do with matters of faith. We're seeing that a lot lot today, aren't we? We're seeing people all around us who undermine our faith, who undermine the Bible, who try to find ways to oppose the message of Christ and Christianity. But opposition doesn't have to be so blatant. Opposition, I mean, you look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they thought they were doing the right thing. And there are individuals who think they're doing the right thing, but they're actually not. There's a husband today who sits at home, or maybe he is here, but criticized his wife for making church such a priority. He stands in opposition to the way of Christ. They don't make it a priority. There are others who, who are less blatant even than that. Maybe they say things, just occasionally, just things that would undermine the faith of their family, maybe the faith of their coworker. Maybe they would join in with a little joke here or there against people of faith. Maybe it's not blatant, but it is there. They oppose the message of Christ. And so what I want to say to those who oppose Christ is that the people that Christ was most against were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who thought they did right, but opposed the message of Christ and Christianity. And so there are those who oppose God's team. And then there are those, and by the way, when I'm talking about opposition, I'm not talking about those who are genuinely seeking and you just haven't found yet. I'm not talking about the person who has doubts and fears and wonders if there's a God who loves them. Because if that's you, I'm just really glad you're here. God loves the heart of those who are seeking Him. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will find Him when you seek Him with all of your heart. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who oppose the message. And the Bible says ultimately the one who opposes the message the most is our enemy, the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And friends. Here's what I'm saying. You have to be alert and aware today. As Paul writes in Ephesians of the tactics of the enemy, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy, the devil, opposes Christ and his message. And he likes to put little doubts in your head. You're not good enough. You can never be forgiven. No one cares about you. Friends, those are lies. Don't buy the lies. You are worth so much more than that. And moms today, the enemy likes to tell you lies today too. You're not worthy. You should do more with your life. You're a failure. Ladies, don't believe the lies. The work you do is the most important work in the world. And remember, the goal is not perfection because no one is perfect. The goal is progress. Paul said, forget what is behind and press on, make progress toward what is ahead. And what is ahead is making sure that we're in heaven when we die and that those that we know, they're in heaven with us. Years ago, mom and dad, my mom and dad did a little speech on Valentine's Day at a church I was serving in Dayton. And they began to speak. They went through the letters of the word Valentine. I don't remember what V or A or L stood for. I just remember that they told one story. And they looked at each other and said, you know what? Back in 1970, so-and-so, back at New Year's Eve, when everybody else was making commitments, we looked at each other and said, well, what do we want about our family? What do we want from our family? And they decided that the goal that their family, that they wanted for their family, was that we would be in heaven together when we die. And that we would want to be in heaven together when we die. Amen? There's a difference. You know, you want to be in to. We're going to be in heaven, but we want to be in heaven. We want to be together. And so they tried to live their lives in such a way that we would have fun on the journey, that we would enjoy one another, that there wouldn't be that competition between uh, siblings, that instead we'd be willing to be encouraging one another, lift each other up, spend that time together so that we'd be in heaven. Church was a major priority to what we did. Christ was a significant priority to what we did in our lives. Christ and the church. And that, so that we would learn what it would be like to be worshiping in heaven forever. So there is the opposition. There are those who oppose, and the enemy wants to destroy. And then there's the crowd. And what I fear today is that many in the church fall into this category. They're interested in spiritual things. They're content with being spectators of the things of God. They may even come to church, but very little changes in them when they leave here. Commitment is the last thing on their mind. If the worship service isn't good enough, they tend to be critical they serve little because they're too busy. They go with the crowd because it's comfortable, and God forgives anyway. They refuse to take a stand against the opposition. They aren't bad people. They just aren't on the team. They're consumers, not contributors. They're curious but not committed. And that leads me to a scripture where Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father fathers in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. They were part of the crowd. They they were just those who were consuming. They were just there watching. They did task in Jesus' name, but they didn't actually have a relationship with Christ. Friends, being part of the crowd is fun sometimes, but it's not where the good stuff is. And this scripture concerns me because I think there are those who, who oh, just come occasionally, or maybe they come regularly, but they're not committed to Christ. There's very little that changes in their life. They're taking it in, but they're not giving away. For instance, the good stuff is to be on the team. Those on the team have stepped over the line. You've decided. You've committed. You've said yes to Jesus. The team takes hard work. The team takes commitment. Being on the team means you're all in. You're ready to go. You're ready to serve. And this is true in in a family setting, it's true in a work setting, it's true in the church. I mean, how many of you know that in a family setting, there are sometimes those who are more interested in consuming than they are contributing? And some of you right now, you're thinking about an extended family member. Yeah, that uncle so-and-so, that guy, that rascal, that guy wants to take from everybody in our family. We can think about that. And yet there are those who contribute, and being part of the family means you contribute to the family. You're supportive of the family. You enjoy it. You work hard because it takes everyone to be a part of the family. It takes commitment to be on the team. Same thing in the church. That's why I celebrate. A couple weeks ago, we had a serve day here to do mulch and yard work, prepare for Easter. We had about eight people show up that day. It was the most interesting group of people ever. Um, We had one uh, individual who was a single mother brought her... uh, Two children with her. We had a a a wife, mother who was going through a divorce. We had a man and his wife there. The man has Alzheimer's, and his wife there is there to help show him the way. We had a couple strong, strapping men. Josh was there. You know he's strong and strapping. Kelby was there. He's pretty strong and strapping too. I was there. I'm I'm breaking down. By the way, (laughs) it's not good. It's not good. We had a young man who. Uh, it's kind of on the autism spectrum. He showed up, rode his bike there. This is our team that day, and the mulch is out there because uh, that team weeded and worked and served, and I want to celebrate them today because, you know what? It takes effort, takes dedication to say, man, even in those small things, people never may, may never notice. Somebody might walk by it 100 times and go, well, that mulch sure looks good. Well, I want you to know the team that served that day. And, you know, I, I really think that when we serve like that on the team, it's hard work, but it's worth it. In the Bible, we understand that the team is not just a task, it's a relationship. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had, so, you had become so dear to us. And as we serve together, we serve in joy. That day, we ate Kala coffeehouse breakfast sandwiches together and laughed a lot. Why? Because it's fun to serve together. I just think the best way to grow is to is to grow to know Jesus in community with other believers. That's why there are fifty nine one another statements in the New Testament. Fifty nine specific times in the New Testament where we are told to do something toward one another: love one another, accept one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be at peace with one another, serve one another, be hospitable to one another, pray for one another. Andy Stanley said the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. And I think that's true. This applies to the church. The Lord is still looking for men and women who say, whatever it takes, I want to be a contributor. I want to be a fully devoted. In Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread and to prayer. They were not half-hearted. They were committed. The Lord added to their number then daily those who were being saved. And this applies to a family and it applies to the church. It applies to all of us. That's one of the reasons why we miss Sherry today. Uh, Josh and I recently have finished our book on discipleship and uh, we still have to do some editing, but but we are at the end of this process, and and one of the things that's motivated us through this is Sherry's head and our voice in our heads, because uh, often she would say, "Now you guys need to get that thing done," and and uh, she was kind of our cheerleader in that. But the truth is, Sherry was a cheerleader across the board. Nine years older than me, but she We worked together for many, many years, and she never had an issue with the fact that I was younger than her. She always was very supportive of my leadership, encouraging along the way. We miss her joy around here and her words of wisdom and advice. But I tell you what, she was part of the team for sure. Two weeks before she died, we had the hardest day ever musically where we did the greatest showman here. And we had transformed this room into a circus uh, arena as we were celebrating God who is the one who really is, is the greatest of all time. That was really our theme. And she had arranged the music and she was here and she came early and played keyboard, couldn't even get up on the stage. We had it on the floor her. She would play her heart out and then between services, she would go take a nap on the couch in between. And what we learned there is what my brother said at her funeral. We learned that Sherry was a warrior, a warrior, a warrior with a really good attitude. You know, I still think that God is looking for men and women in families and in teams and in the church who say, I don't want to be part of the crowd. I want to be part of the team. So if you're a seeker today, keep seeking, keep coming, keep asking questions, keep learning. We would love to help you in that process. And remember that the Bible says that those who seek the Lord, they will find him. If you're in the crowd today, it's time to make a commitment. And I want to ask you, really, to do what the Bible says, to repent. To say, God, I, I want to come clean. I, I want to I repent of my past. And God, I want to accept Christ. I want to be baptized into Christ have all my sin washed away. Those who have never made a first-time commitment, you need to make that commitment. To say, Christ, I want to be on your team. I want the rewards and the benefits. I want heaven. I want forgiveness. I want grace. I need your help in every day. But I also, today, out of love, I want to serve you, God. And then commit. Commit to the team. Commit, put, commit to putting the hard work in of growing. Commit to engaging fully. No more excuses. And one place I really want to emphasize this commitment is in the area of being a part of a a local team, a community group, a home team, where you can be the best version of yourself because you have men and women gathering around you, encouraging you, supporting you, helping you along the way, being the best mom possible, best dad possible, best spouse, best person. The way to do that is that people around you that are lifting you up, encouraging you, and saying, you can do it, you can keep going, we can be in this thing together. Come on, let's go on the journey together. You know, I heard years ago, and it really resonates with me, I want to do God's bidding for the rest of my life. And I want to do it with people who love me and that I love. Pretty simple. I want to to be part of the team. I want to do God's bidding for the rest of my life, and I just want to do it with people that love me and that I love. Supportive. Hand in hand, arm in arm. We got each other's back. Both in our families, our homes, our church. Theodore Roosevelt gave a a well-worn statement years ago. It goes like this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I really think that that God is looking for people in the church like that. I really believe that God's looking for people in families like that. So women, happy Mother's Day today. I want to say to you today, thank you for your love, your encouragement, your support, and I want to say, stop being hard on yourself because sometimes moms, moms are too hard on themselves. Too much like, well, look at that mom. She's got it all together. Look at me. I don't have it all together. Look, she's all got, she did makeup today. I haven't done makeup in three days. This is terrible. I just, I'm too hard on my kids. I'm not there for my kids. Look, stop. I mean, we can all make room for improvement, but give yourself grace. I mean, God has, Giving you your gifts so that you can give them to your children. So give them. Give them. Be the best version of yourself. Find time alone with God. Even if it's at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, find that time so that you can be the best version of yourself for your kids, but stop being hard on yourself. Give yourself grace. And guys, I think, I think every woman in here would stand up and applaud if every man in here would say, you know what? We want to lead our family well. And we want to be good spiritual leaders dads you should be praying with your kids moms you too praying with your kids read scripture they're not just going to get it one hour a week here at church you've got to be doing the hard work make sure you're here be at church don't give up meeting together as the bible says for some of you church is is a thing we can do if there's nothing else on the agenda man you've got to be here you've got to be here that's one way to lead your family bring them to the water trough so that then they can be fed they can be watered that's your job. Guys, I know it's not fair on Mother's Day. We're loving the moms and hard on dads, amen. That's what happens. You got to deal with it. It's the way it is because I think, man, I just think God has a special call on men, a special call on your life to do something great, to lead your family well, to represent well, and give yourself grace. Don't be hard on yourself, but step to the plate. We need some men who are leading here, leading teams. And say, when it comes to serve days, I'm not just going to come and serve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that off their plate. I'm going to lead that day. That's what we need. So, guys, I'm asking you to do that. And I'm, I'm just saying, all of us, we need people around us who are going to encourage us and support us. I know you got other groups. I know you got PTAs and soccer teams and all this stuff. I'm just saying Get people around you who can build you up spiritually and say no matter what you do, the best version of yourself is when you have a team around you that say, hey, we can do this together. We can make it together. We're in this to win it. That's what we want. God, we thank you today so much for your love for us. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be part of a great team called the church. God, thank you for the institutions that you provided. The Bible says you provided the institution of government, believe it or not. But the government, God, allows us, gives us some certain guardrails and certain protections. And so, God, we're thankful for that. And, God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for their spiritual lives, for their wisdom. And, God, I, I pray for our families. I pray for moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents, caregivers, God, that we would lead well, that we'd be faithfully committed to you. God, I pray for that today. I pray that we would give ourselves grace, and yet we would still work hard. God, I pray for the church. Thank you for your team called the church, the bride of Christ. Pray we do do everything we can to take care of it, God, to lead it well, to serve well. God, I just pray that we be convicted by that. We look for opportunities to serve. God, I just thank you for, for loving us, for giving us Christ, our example, our sacrifice, the one who shows us the way. God, today we love you. We thank you. Thank you for moms today, God. Thank you for your wisdom in creating them. In Jesus' name we pray.